Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, October 24th. And we've got a whole bunch to talk about today from the world of cycling. We've got, well, we've got a little a little news that Egan Bernal wants to come back to the Tour de France. We talk about Egan Bernal all the time. It's because we love him. And we would love to see him back to the Tour. So we're going to talk about what he has said. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the crazy young signings that are going on right now. A 17-year-old Norwegian was just picked up by Jumbo Visma. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Eddie Merckx thinks that Remco should ride the Giro. So Eddie Merckx is on Team Ronin on that one. Uh, and I think Kit as well. Cav to Israel? Hmm. Hmm. No, probably not. But we'll talk about it in a little bit. <laughs> and for today's Nerd Nugget, the one that we promised last week that we never actually got to, we're going to talk about some of the well, the, the supplier uh, what game of musical chairs that happens around this time of year and who might be riding what next season. We'll get to that. At the end of the show, with me today, Kit Nicholson. How are you, Kit? I'm all right, thank you. How was your weekend? Oh, it was quite a stressful one, this one. Yeah? Well, the website we wasn't did. exactly playing along. <laughs> our website, <laughs> our homepage went rogue uh, on, was it like late Friday afternoon, evening for me? Great timing. Uh, and basically, the homepage just decided to disappear. Like the entire, the sort of template behind it, all of the the code behind it disappeared and so all it was was about 50 cycling tip stories all in one long line with no formatting <laughs> for about 12 hours. <laughs> Less than ideal, uh, but we did fix it. And in the process of fixing it, we had to pull up a backup, which killed one of your stories. I'm sorry, Kit. Yeah, it was traumatic, but <laughs> I managed to find the courage and the patience to rewrite it. So we got this there in the end. A- a timely reminder not to write things in the CMS. Oh, I like know. A, like a second path. <laughs> also with us today, Johnny Long, how are you? Good afternoon. With the, with the website outage, do we know or have we looked into whether it's a, another fancy bears hack? Ooh, we have not. No, I'm pretty sure we did it actually. I'm oh. not going to name names, but there was um, somebody made some adjustments to some admin stuff. Uh, and killed it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think it was fancy bears. I think it was just our own ineptitude, unfortunately. An Alas. inside job. An inside job, indeed. <laughs> we all just really, I really wanted to work late into a Friday night. That's what I was <laughs> looking forward to. <laughs> and Ronan McLaughlin, how are you? Uh, well, I'm never mind fancy bears. I'm a bit like a grizzly bear right now, having just heard that that might have been our own fault because. I sat late into Friday evening writing uh, a draft of a review only to figure out yesterday that it had also disappeared. Uh, mm. And I just put it down to a glitch and a, again, a timely reminder, the first reminder I've ever had not to write in the CMS, but now to hear it yep. might be our own fault. Mm. You'll be wishing it was the fancy bears. <laughs> Maybe. We're, we're, we're doing a one of those uh, self-investigation things right now, which will undoubtedly unearth the culprit, uh, which we will then sweep right under the rug and ignore. Sounds and like the British government. Happened. Yes. <laughs> That's how we operate. I, I honestly don't really know, but uh, if you were trying to access the website sometime at the end of last week, I do apologize because it was very broken. Um, that said, if you have not yet paid to get past our little paywall, 
you got 50 stories for free all in one go. So congratulations. <laughs> I think it start, started off with, I think Ronan, I think your Primoz Roglic Tour de France running story was the number one at the, at the top for some reason. No idea why. It, it's, it ranked them in terms of most interesting story of the year, I think. I <laughs> it worked. <laughs> let's, let's get into today's show. But before I do, quick reminder, you have a couple more days. Now, by the time you listen to this, It'll be almost over. You have a couple more days until October 27th to get on this 75% off offer to subscribe to Cycling Tips to get past our paywall for only $9.99 a month. There's a, I believe if you just click on the website anywhere, I believe it is the entire back skin of the website right now so you can just click on it and get into that particular offer if you have not not done it already this is the best offer we've had all year and the best offer we will have all year and i happen to know that a ton of people have already signed up using it go check it out did, did you say 9.99 a month or 9.99 a year i think it's a month oh i said did i say a month i am i was wrong that would be more <laughs> expensive than normal <laughs> 9.99 a year a whole year to drop that pesky paywall that we have on cyclingtips.com, a great website. Go check it out. With that, let's get into today's show. We're going to start with a bit of Egan Bernal news. Now, we, we, we sort of, obviously, everybody has followed his long, slow return. He has raced a little bit now, and he is talking about potentially racing the Tour de France next year. I mean, last week on this show, we were talking about him maybe racing the Giro. It's a pretty good race for him on paper. It's got quite a few high altitude finishes and climbs. Uh, he's not a bad time trialist, or at least he wasn't prior to his accident. But it sounds like he's more interested in the Tour. Perhaps that's just a way to get some better headlines. But, Kit, what did he say? Well, yeah, I mean, he's... Um the last big race that he won was the Tour de Well, no, sorry, that, let me start again. <clears throat> um, well, because he's just been back to Colombia for his last surgery of a, I don't know, I mean, it's not countless, but a vast number of surgeries, more surgeries than most people have in a lifetime. Um, and he's starting to think about what's next. Um, and he'd really like to return to the Tour de France, as I think a lot of people would like him to do. Um, it's a race that he... Won in 2019 um, and earned a lot of fans with his attacking in, on those last couple of stages. And the, with the landslide, it was quite dramatic. But then, of course, his back injury raised its ugly head for a couple of years and it continued to affect him right up until his Giro win. Um, and But he's now saying with his, with the, I mean, he's raced 12 days this year, so he's had a very light year. And... Although you could also say he's had quite a big year considering he was given a 5% chance of actually even walking again in January. Um, but he's now talking about the tour again, um, naturally. Um, and perhaps this, because the, the latest surgery was to his knee, it was brought forward a little bit. Um, and uh, perhaps a bit more recovery puts the Giro a little bit out of the picture. I don't believe he's really communicated with the team that much just yet over his schedule because it was all very I'd probably do the Tour of Colombia if it's on and then maybe do Paris-Nice and Strada Bianchi and then maybe the Dauphiné um, but yeah he's highly motivated and chirpy if anyone follows him on Instagram he was having a lot of fun at a Grand Fondo over the weekend um, so yeah it's I, th I mean 
I don't know if he'll like what he finds when he gets to the Tour de France, but he wants to be there. And Ineos could probably do with him being there, even if it's just a good news story about a comeback. Do you think regardless of what sort of form he, he managed to find next year, saying that he's going to aim for the Tour acts as the sort of carrot to aim for during like grueling physio sessions, during arduous training to try and get back to that level? Do you think you, as a rider you need something like the Tour de France to aim for to even stand a chance of getting back? Well, part, yeah, part of the interview, he said that um, the team have uh, said to him, take it easy, get back to fitness, no pressure. And he said himself that it's all internal. He wants to be at the Tour. It's his, it is his carrot um, and there's no pressure from outside. I don't think the team would take much uh, persuading if he said, I'll do the Tour. Um you know, I don't think they're going to talk him out, try and talk him out of it too sternly. But yeah, I, I'm sure you're right there. And and he's probably not talking about coming back and winning the thing, right? Like he's just talking about racing it again, riding it again, and and that being the next step. I I at least that's what I gleaned from the from the quotes. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone who's watched the past couple of tours can expect, you know, regardless of who it is. Somebody like, let's say, Evanapool as an example, after his horrific crash, his first race back, I don't think, oh well, and you would have been very surprised if he'd have been doing particularly well in the Giro. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about him at the time, but of course he was coming back from a horrific injury. Um, and uh, so I don't, you know, nobody's going to expect too much from him um, after all this. Uh, but yeah, just to be there. But the, the other interesting thing is that I actually can't remember where I saw it, but he uh, mentioned in an interview uh, a little while ago, like a few months ago, that his back issue had just evaporated after the crash and after the um, surgeries that he basically been, he had his back reconstructed, his spine reconstructed, and that had somehow fixed those problems that I think was before he started racing again. So whether that consistent position and power transfer and all that might've had an effect, I don't know. I haven't heard about it since, but you know, he may just unlike Chris Froome, who is of course, what, 11 years older than him. You know, he might come back as uh, you know, careful with the word choice, but as a little bit more bionic and maybe in 2024, he can compete for the tour, but this year, the, next year, no, I think to be there and to, finish the race or just to uh, perform well in the first couple of weeks after what well, it'll be 18 months after almost killing himself. That'll I was going to, I was going to say the, the story of the magic back sounds like he's the latest character of the Marvel cinematic universe. And this yeah. is his origin story. <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> well, he did it. His, his nickname in Colombia is Wolverine. Apparently. Really? That was one of the, in the first TV interview he gave back in what February, he was talking about the um, the nickname that he has back home, which is Wolverine. <laughs> so yeah, is it, is that it a works. Post crash nickname or is that like no? From that was when beforehand. Was I think that was that was a long time ago. His first coach or something. Huh. I mean, he doesn't feel he, uh, doesn't feel very Wolverine to me. <laughs> no. Of all the riders, he could be Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does not. He. Mm, I mean, you know, go for it. I guess <laughs> so it's a fun one. Well, we, we're, you know, like I said before, we're, we're just, we've been keeping an eye on this particular story. We'll keep an eye on Bernal. Uh, I think we'd all love to see him, see him go for that carrot and be at the Tour de France. And like, like you say, Kit, whether he's sort of 
in contention for anything, stages, anything at all. It doesn't really matter at this point. And it's a really good feel good story. I do, you know, I, I, it's funny, like the, the Ineos of 2014, 2015 never brings him right. Because that you only, you only have eight riders and you want to win the Tour de France. The Ineos of 2023 feels like it might, uh, even if he's not back to full strength, even if there's no chance of him really doing much from a results perspective. Uh, again, just because it's a it's a really good story, they'd get a lot of coverage out of it, positive coverage out of it, and they're probably not going to win the race anyway. I mean, if we've learned anything from Ineos in the past few news cycles with the Remco thing, we know that they're a little bit desperate about the Tour de France. So even just a... Yeah, a good news story, a bit of fun, or a comeback would be good for them. We have a vital, vital bit of experience too for Tom Pitcock's GC ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's more chance of Bernal going going back to the tour uh, if De- Dave Brailsford is still currently living in a caravan outside the OGC Nice football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the sort of thing he's concocting on a massive bit of like blueprint paper deep into the evening with a, what, a singular <laughs> gas lamp as he eats a pot noodle or something like that in the car park. Sounds like some mad <laughs> Dave-sized plan. <laughs> Come back and win the Tour de France with Egan Bernal. Yes, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll make it happen. All right, let's, let's move on to some of our other topics for today. Next one up on my little list here. We've just got a, a pile of, of quite interesting signings that have happened. Uh, well, not I would say recently. One that, that happened over the weekend that sort of layers on top of a number that have happened over the last couple of years that, that sort of point at this trend of picking up very, very young riders uh, well before they are actually ready for the world tour. And the latest is a young man named Jorgen Nordhagen, who just is a first, he's a first year junior, 17 years old. Uh, just signed with Yumbo Visma for 2025 on the World Tour team, but will race on the development squad ahead of that. So starting next year, would race on the on the development squad. Is a I believe a multi-time Norwegian cross-country ski national champion, which frankly to me is more impressive than anything he's done on the bike thus far, because Norway is sort of the cross-country ski capital of the universe. Uh, so to win a national championship in the juniors there is, is an indicator of some pretty impressive uh, VO2 numbers and and just general aerobic engine. So this, this, this guy is quite talented on that front. But the more interesting thing to me is, is just this, this kind of trend toward picking up riders well before they're actually ready based off of numbers, based off of testing, based off of whatever the, 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 the sort of the scouting system is, is finding here, because it's not something that most teams used to do, right? Like the sort of traditional way was development teams that were very specifically development teams would, you know, pull, pull these riders up from the juniors, get them ready for the world tour. Maybe the best move to the world tour in their early twenties, the, the, the uh, most riders probably moved to the world tour somewhere in like the sort of 23, 24 year old kind of range. And here we've got a 17 year old, who has his future now mapped out in front of him. Now, Johnny, before we hit record here, you, you and I were talking about the, the sort of European football development system here. And it, it does, it's obviously not anywhere near as organized as that academy system, but it, it has some, th- there are some similarities, right? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, it sounds like Jumbo Visma are already signing future super domestiques for to build around Archie Ryan in a few years. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, in, in European football, all clubs have academies of varying qualities and sizes and budgets. And the idea is you you find talents super young, like not even not even you know like eight. Yeah, yeah. Like can't even fit into <laughs> football boots and and kits and stuff. And then the idea is you build sort of loyalty within the within the player within the family. They probably move maybe to the area and build their lives there. And so then when they hit, then when they hit their sort of peak talent, peak form, they sign with the club. And then it basically is a cheap way of developing world class talent or a way to fund your entire academy system so that you can keep producing these talents and it's it, it's a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy it's a business model and i guess with the umber visma the idea is that if you if you get those guys in early you're not going to get an in a development squad you're not going to have anyone else poach them which is often how we see things happen with with Ergan Bernal and other riders yeah i mean historically like i said what has happened is is other teams will will develop these riders i mean gianni savio's team uh which Actually, we 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 haven't talked about this yet, but potentially that team is dead. Yeah, it's, it's not looking uh, good. And and that's that, we'll, we'll we'll shelve that topic, but that is also worth talking about because that team's been around forever. But a lot of the top talent, particularly the South American talent, uh, in, currently in the World Tour, came through that team. And Savio kind of almost set himself up as like similar to an academy, right? Where he would pull riders in, he would make them more valuable. And he would sell them on for however many millions of dollars and actually use that to fund not only himself, but also his, the future of his team. Uh, he's, I, I'm trying to remember the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, the, the exact number that he sold, like even Sosa for Sosa was, I think a couple million euros or pounds a couple years ago to Ineos. Um, he's done that numerous times. So it, it feels to me a little bit like Yumbo is kind of trying to take that, that system and just bring it all in house, right? And that again is very much sort of what we're used to seeing from other major sports that have this sort of development pipeline a little bit more. Um, well, it's a little more rigid, right? It's 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 the pathway is is better defined than it is currently in professional cycling. Where I mean, people come from all over the place in professional cycling. You've got you got everything from riders getting signed at seventeen to like Mike Woods not hitting the World Tour until he was. 27 or, or, or whatever that was, right? The, 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 the pipeline is totally different than in many other sports. I guess it, it makes more sense as well because you can sort of build the rider in your own image and you can you know that they're going to be a culture fit regardless of the talent because sometimes you have a hugely talented rider but won't fit within you know your, your team and the whole environment. So I guess it's a, a buffer against that maybe as well. And it, it just kind of makes sense to to try and go long on, on a big talent like with Pogaccia, even though he he sort of came immediately to the team in the world tour. It makes sense to get those young guys and sort of say, look, you'll go to the world tour in this year, but for a while you get to actually be, be a kid and grow up and you're not just flung in. And then that's your life really, isn't it? You're a world tour athlete. So why is this happening now? And, and not previously. I mean, this is, we've had power meters for a long time. We've been able to tell if a, if a junior rider is, is exceptional for, you know, the testing has not materially improved in the last couple of years. Why now? I would say actually the testing has improved in the last couple of years. And and if not the testing, certainly the understanding that teams have. Uh, and it's probably coupled with the fact that you've got the likes of Pogaccia and Evenepoel who have been so phenomenally successful so young. 
that now teams are saying, well, we have this objective measure of how talented a rider is now. We're not relying on sort of a, a good eye for talent like they did 10 years ago. Uh, and then we've also got this pressure to find the next superstar because UAE and Quickstep currently have the two superstars. So we need to find the next 16-year-old that's going to uh, explode the cycling world and, and won everything. So probably those two things combined. And then I think also just the the UCI change recently where they, I'm not sure they mandated, but they certainly allowed World Tour teams to have associated development teams, which Jumbo Visma does under the same umbrella, but other teams like uh, Wanta Group Gobert are, are linked with the Action Bergens Hagen development squad. So they, they don't have to be the same uh, team effectively, but each of these World Tour teams now has a development squad that they're linked with and they can take riders from that development squad, give them a taste of uh, racing with the World Tour squad, not in World Tour races, but with the World Tour squad in, I think it's up to 1.1 races or maybe 1.8C. Uh, and just give them a taster for that. And you know, Johnny, you mentioned Archie Ryan there, like, but he is actually a good example in that he joined Jumbo Visma Academy squad a couple of years ago when he showed some good talent, had been injured and unwell for a couple of years. The team stuck by him, given the chance this year. He then delivered on that with some phenomenal results towards the end of the season and then was linked with both Trek, Segafredo and DSM and declined both of those offers to go world tour to stick with the academy squad with the hope of going even better next year because uh, presumably he feels that the squad has the faith in him and he has the faith in the squad and it gives him a good opportunity to develop himself further and i guess he's thinking well this time next year i'll sign for the world tour squad as a as a more developed more all-round rider ready to race in, in the world tour and so it's it's kind of while on the face of it, I think we look at it and go, they're signing 17-year-olds. I think there is actually, you know, which could be a very bad thing. And those football development pathways that we spoke about earlier, they work really well if you make it to the first team squad. But if you don't, you're sort of taken in as a child and you're dumped out as a young adult with very little safety net to catch you. And you're just hoping you can get into a lower level squad. Whereas I don't think cycling's quite taken up that model just yet and hopefully it never does but uh it's certainly you know it's it's sort of one one for both sides at the moment the team may get the next superstar the next superstar may get the best opportunity to, to develop themselves you know and i think again just looking at yombo visma the attention to detail that squad has for every aspect of the sport if if i if i was a parent and my kid was about to try to become a professional cyclist, I think it would be much more comfortable with them taking the Yumba Visma development squad route than certainly the route that I took, which was, you know, was good at the time, but in comparison to what exists now, uh, was a lot, definitely had a lot more luck riding on it to get anywhere from it. Dumped into a house in Belgium, that, that route. I can't really say dumb because I walked in willingly, but it certainly felt like that sometimes. I don't really have a fully formed thought on this. I'm not sure where the conclusion is, but that's it's what not, this podcast is for. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's not. I'm just trying to just thinking why this is such a big story when you look at the likes of Action, who, if you look through the last ten years of team rosters on the internet, you've got Teo Gegenhart, 
you've got Jasper Stoven. You've got so many big names now in the sport that it's kind of like it was an academy for the whole entire sport. And then you've, I mean, Jumbo Visma has been at this for several years. Olaf Koy is a graduate of the uh, development team, and uh, David Decker, I think, as well, who's about to move on to someone else. Um, okay. Um, and yeah, the, the Stagiaire system has been around for a long time. Uh, so yeah, that's my unformed thought. I, is there's this kind of, I, I guess maybe it's part of that of this really long contracts that we're seeing signed now because this puts Jorgen, what's his name, um, Jorgen Nordhagen. This puts him in a, what's essentially a five year contract that doesn't even start yet. Um, when five year contracts are already a bit of a new thing already. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. I don't know. There you go. My brain fart. <laughs> I I would like to we're obviously never going to get it but I would love to see what those contracts look like because presumably it's not a guarantee no matter how well or badly the next two years go you are going to our world tour squad in 2025 I, I, I don't think the contract is going to say that and with all these squads development teams you know we we hear about the most successful riders but there there is also a large proportion of the team every season who won't make it to the world tour and you know just what happens what happens with with those riders you know again going back into what i was saying about the, the football setup hopefully we don't go down the route where they're left high and dry and you know quitting the sport just because it hasn't worked out and they haven't got to the very top level but then also you know we're talking about such long-term contracts we're talking about a system that works in football but one of the crucial differences here is that there is unlikely ever to be a scenario where a Premier League team just goes, you know, loses its sponsor and doesn't exist anymore, which <laughs> could happen <laughs> tomorrow for almost any cycling team. You know, so uh, you know, the one the one thing you would worry about is just, you know, these kids have such high hopes because they've joined a squad that is, has the same name as a World Tour team. Uh, and they very quickly find that in a year's time that doesn't exist and they're left with very few other options. Also, quickly, a final sort of comparison with football is that in football, it's a much bigger pyramid to fall down. So that if you are in one of these big academies, there's sort of more chance of you grabbing onto a branch as you sort of fall away in an unelegant sense. Um, the other, the other thing with the why it's big news is because partly it's because Jumbo Visma announced it in a big press release where this tiny little kid is standing next to the di- the director sportifs holding the jersey, and also because this guy was born in 2005, which is just going to make <laughs> everyone feel old coincidentally the same year i walked into that house in belgium wow <laughs> well yeah i was gonna uh, just complete my thought i think um that is also a change in the neopro setup because when i started following the sport neopros in the first so the first two years of a pro contract you're carrying water bottles and you're doing all the grunt work it doesn't happen anymore i mean it happens for a few people maybe but um you know you've got Egan Bernal and then Pogachar and Evanapool, they come into the team as leaders. Um, so it's there isn't an apprenticeship anymore. So the apprenticeship has got to happen before you sign on the dotted line. And it's that first year as a pr- fully fledged professional, you have to be scoring goals. Um, it's got to be successful from the gun. So yeah, like you're saying, it is. there's a lot more pressure. So they have to, to keep the pressure as low as possible for as long as possible. It's obviously not our job, but I do always try to make a point of also just mentioning that for any young writers who are listening, 
that you know if you're not pro when you're 17 or you haven't got a pro contract lined up for five years from now by the time you've turned 18 you know it's not the end of the road in cycling for for young riders who haven't made it onto a development squad or you know just everybody develops at, at different rates and and that's probably what has been the big unknown uh until now and, and probably still going forward is just you know cycling is so different we've talked so much about football here which is a skill-based sport mostly cycling is you know quite a lot uh to do with strength and stamina and endurance and the sort of capabilities that you don't develop until you do just begin get a bit older uh, and while we can understand that a bit better now there are still riders who just develop more slowly and they are 23 before they reach the level that they can prove they should be in the world tour so yeah, don't be getting too stressed out just because somebody has signed <laughs> pro at 18 and you haven't started racing until you're 19. Well, and and I think for junior boys in particular, it's like when you went through puberty, you know, literally, like if, if you're one of those kids that goes through puberty at 13, then then you're flying it. You get a mustache at 17. You're good to go. <laughs> if, if you if you developed a bit later, then you're not going to be winning the total avenue at 17 years old. Right. It, it's just a reality there. You're, you're very very correct to bring that up Ronan. that like we're still talking about outliers here we're still talking about not, not just outliers from a from a talent like overall talent perspective but outliers from a from a time perspective and age perspective and and there are still a lot of athletes that don't get good until 22 23 24 25 years old right that, that is still a very reasonable thing anyway just to, just wanted to highlight this one Another name to keep an eye on, obviously. Like I said, uh, the, the thing that really caught my eye was the fact that this kid was, had won a couple of national championships on skis, which from what I can tell on his on his cycling results, or actually his ski results are more impressive than his cycling results at this point in time. Um, he has one, I think he's, he's time trial national champion in Norway as well. But to be perfectly honest, cross-country ski national champion in Norway is probably significantly more difficult than time trial national champion in Norway. <laughs> so the kid is good. Uh, and we'll keep an eye on on not only him, but also other other young riders that appear to be coming through similar systems. Um, yeah, at some point it would be good to talk with, I don't know, maybe the folks over at Action again. I haven't I haven't chatted with them in a long time, and uh, some of the other teams that are that are pulling development team or some of the other World Tour teams that are pulling development teams together, and how they're looking at that long term. Like, are these are these investments in talent? Are are they potential revenue drivers? Like, are there other teams that are going to try to pull a Gianni Savio and and lock down a rider for a seven year contract and sell them halfway through for many millions of dollars? What exactly is the is the plan here? Uh, we'll do some we'll do some reporting on that and we'll come back to you. Let's move on with today's show. Oh, just a brief note: it's on the run sheet. Got to mention it that Eddie Merckx agrees with Ronan and I think Kit as well. Uh, and thinks that Remco should ride the Giro. So, I don't know. I'm just over here in my island thinking that he should ride the Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> Me against Eddie. Uh, I think I lose that one, unfortunately. Well, I think what's interesting about it is that Eddie Merckx, who seems to want to distance himself from any, uh, distance himself quite loudly from any suggestion that Remco is the next Eddie Merckx, um, is that he did it three. He did the Giro three times before he went to his first Tour de France. Um, Eddie Merckx. Um, I don't think that'll happen with Evenepoel. But yeah, I, I, I'm in. Uh, I'm in Camp Eddie. Um, not least alone. because 
the competition at the Tour de France will be incredibly high and I don't see young Evenepoel being able to compete just yet. Then again, the Giro is much harder than it looks on paper and those 70 kilometres of time trial, um, time trialling are not as easy as they look either. Um, so I don't Tame think he's going to win. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's not an easy uphill either. Um, so he's not, I don't think he's going to win either, but I said that about the Volta, so I'll probably be wrong again. Um, but I, I w- just, I would say also that um, having seen the Giro route, and this is, this is with um, the caveat that when I first had this thought, it was without having seen that there are seven mountains that go over 2000 meters at the, at the Giro, um, as opposed to one at the Vuelta, which wasn't very difficult anyway. Um, I wonder if just because Lefebvre likes a story, I wonder if, um, they're trying to angle uh, Evenepoel towards a Vuelta win, Giro win, and then a Tour 2024 win. So he wins the next three, two Grand Tours that he does, and which he'll do before Pogacar, which will be really, it'll make him the best rider ever, right? I wonder if that's uh, on the uh, on the agenda. <laughs> I like that thought. It also, I mean, that also kind of lines up with Ronan, what you were saying about kind of keeping the momentum. Right. And, and how important that is at this point. I think that was you last week that were saying that. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's a that's a valid argument. That's uh, that's a head argument. My heart says race the damn tour because you just won the world championships in the Vuelta and you should race the Tour de France. So I don't think we're ever going to agree. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out what they think at some point. Uh, some they point said January. Spring. Apparently the decision has already been made, but they said that they'd announce in January. Yeah, I, I mean... I'm sure the decision's already been made because if you're designing a season around the Giro, that looks very different from True. designing a season around the Tour de France, right? And but the tour hasn't been announced it. yet. Well, uh, it gets announced later this week, yeah. right? So we'll be talking about the the tour route next on next week's show. Um, but Johnny, you put together based off of whispers and rumors and all sorts of other stuff. Um, in particular, a French fella. On VeloWire is the website. Uh, top tip: go check out VeloWire. That he's just like spends his entire life calling up hotels and seeing which ones are booked, basically, <laughs> to find out where the tour is going to go. Uh, so we can't take full credit for for the the route that we put on the internet. But there is a story up on Cycling Tips right now with all of the Tour de France route rumors, uh, including a map that I made. Uh, cause I was really bored on, on Friday afternoon waiting for our website to crash. Uh, and I, <laughs> I made a little map that you can click around on and, and see approximately where the tour route is, looks like it's going to go. Uh, and again, like a lot of the reporting around this is, is from local papers. So like Dauphine Libre, for example, uh, and was it, um, the Southwest is the other paper, Sudest, um, that, that dig around and, and watch mayor's Twitter accounts and do all sorts of other, other figuring and reporting and try to figure out exactly where the tour goes or tour is going to go before it is announced. So we're relatively confident in most of the, at least general direction of the route that we've posted. Um, again, because you can also confirm it with things like every single hotel in this town is already booked, uh, a more like a, almost a year out. <laughs> which just doesn't tend to happen in some of these small French towns unless the Tour de France is showing up. Um, so we, we've, you know, we can confirm that that way. Anyway, go check this out. The, the rumors 
uh, post is up on Cycling Tips now. The other slightly interesting piece of Tour de France route news last week was that Ireland has agreed to bid for an all-island Grand Depart in 26 or 27. Um, so, yeah, just more Tour de France route rumors. And isn't it going to do, it's going to do some like cross-border, you know, everybody can hug again kind of stuff? <laughs> we hug it out as often yeah. as we can in a week, Kaylee. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I really, I, I very much enjoyed the Giro, the Giro start in Belfast, um, and you know, w- would never in a million years claim to have really any deep context on uh, all of the. Well, you do know since you started watching Dairy Girls. That's I yeah we're we're on uh, we're on episode three of Dairy Girls uh, my wife and I very much enjoying it uh, I feel like I know Ronan just so much better than I did a week ago <laughs> not, I'm not sure why because I'm neither from Derry nor a girl so yeah whatever conclusions you're drawing there it may be inaccurate <laughs> y'all sound the same to me it's fine yeah. uh, <laughs> I that, kid that hugs kid. comment is is one of the bravest things ever said in this podcast. And I think the fact that you live in deepest, darkest Colorado means that's the only reason you're able to say that. Yeah, note the uh, tumbleweed that occurred immediately yeah. after the comment. Yeah. I, th- I think it's more to do with the fact that just the sheer expense and logistical organization that goes into uh, welcoming a grand tour of any nature means that for such a small island as ourselves, with relatively small populations north and south of the border, our efforts are better focused uh, combining them than trying mm. to draw a grander start to either one or the other side of that border. Mm. And hugs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I just remember from the Jira start being told that like the the route itself had to go down, you know like an equal number of roads to make sure that everybody was happy and all the rest. And again, uh, beyond learning about this in, in, in high school and a bit of, of university, uh, I do not have the full context, but from the outside, it was a lovely, it was a lovely thing. I really enjoyed that week. See in England, we don't, we don't get taught about it because the, the government rather we we didn't know what was really going on <laughs> <laughs> so cycling <laughs> we've, covered football, we've covered politics what's next <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite topics I feel like we should have a whole episode on it what do you think Ronan no no I think we'd get in trouble Ronan's All breaking right. up <laughs> it's <laughs> going into a tunnel uh, our, <laughs> we have a couple of little bits here so Uh, A bit of news over the weekend. Uh, We're not going to dive too far into this because we're going to run out of time and we want to, we want to be able to dedicate maybe a little bit more time to this and perhaps bring in our Afghan cycling correspondent, uh, Ian Trellor or something like that for this particular topic. Um, But we have an Afghan women's national champion, right? Kit. Yes. uh, Over the weekend, um, I think it was, was it the first Afghanistan national championships, which were held in Agla, the home of the UCI. And uh, 19-year-old Fariba Hashimi beat her sister to the line um, to take the jersey. Um, some great pictures of the of the event. It wasn't broadcast, obviously, but um, and yet yeah, so the 
the exciting thing is that she is expected to head to, um, I think it's going to be called Israel Premier Tech Roland next year. Um, uh, I mean, I, it says that she, she won a contract via winning the uh, championships. Not sure that that is 100% the case. So don't help me to that. But nevertheless, she'll be riding World Tour next year with the potential to go to the Tour de France Femme. Which so she's making history left, right, and center, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's all good news. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a fair amount of controversy around. Uh, if if you followed cycling tips at all, we've done a quite a bit of reporting around the evacuation of a lot of these women that happened shortly after the Taliban took over Afghanistan again. Um, so there are there are issues abound and controversy abounds, um, but this particular thing seems like a good thing to me, uh, and. Yeah, uh, hard to complain about letting people race bikes. So I think with this particular story, again, it is deep enough and complex enough that we don't want to go halfway into it at this point. Uh, so we will hold it there and just let you know that that happened. Sounds like a good thing to me. Now, let's move on once again. We have another Israel Premier Tech related rumor. Ronan, this one? This one came in from you. Uh, Cav, not to BNB hotels. Cav to Israel. This did not come in from me. (laughs) No. Uh, (laughs) Who did this come from? This came. uh, Let's not name names, but it came into our Slack channel uh, Mm. following an Instagram post from Rob, the owner of Factor Bikes, who is or who was at a training holiday in Ibiza last week where Mark Cavendish and a host of other former pros, Johan Museo, Oscar Ferreira, uh, some of the GCN crew were all on this training holiday for a few days and Rob happened to be there also. He was out training with Mark Cavendish and then put a photo of himself and Mark on his Instagram and the rumor started flying in uh i will say from left right and center because it came from uh three different places that uh maybe this is an indication that mark cavendish is not actually going to be in b hotels which does seem like a done deal and is in fact going to israel premier tech who are of course sponsored by factor bikes which i will say this time last week we did mention on the podcast that might be a better fit for mark cavendish who wants to go to the tour and Israel Premier Tech being a team who, you know, let's say not being French are maybe more in danger of not getting to invited to the tour than B&B hotels are. Uh, so, you know, both both parties are looking to go to the tour and both parties could help each other going to the tour was our sort of reasoning. And then, yeah, lo and behold, a couple of days later, the owner of Factor Bikes is pictured with uh, Mark Cavendish himself. Uh, I do think this is a case of two and two together and getting five, but... When we're talking about <laughs> jumping to conclusions, the other conclusion that also started circulating was, well, maybe actually Factor is going to sponsor B&B uh, bikes also. So who knows? That seems uh, more likely to me at this point. Wasn't it? Or they were just both it, on the same, they were both invited to the same holiday. Or they were just both happened to be near each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one thing I will say is that cycling holidays in Ibiza are not something I'd heard of before last week. Uh, normally, Ibiza is a destination for an entirely different type of uh, holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very little healthy things that happen on a trip to Ibiza. 
uh, cycling up usually being one of them. So it is quite coincidental, uh, but you know, it's only, what is it supposed to be Wednesday that B&B hotels are having this press conference that the whole world is invited to. So I'm sure either yeah. way by Wednesday evening, we should have an answer. Yeah, it was one of those uh, come and uh, feel like a, a big time cycle person, um, have some nice food and go for rides with famous people, wasn't it? And in Ibiza's defence, which I can't believe I just said, um, I do know people who've gone to Ibiza with bikes. So yeah, um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I just I've never heard of it. You know, the nearby island of Mallorca is much more popular, exactly. as we all know. Yeah, um, but, I'm but sure maybe it's- there was uh, maybe there were nights out promised as well. Go on a night out with Bradley Wiggins. Guarantee there were nights out promised. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine going to Ibiza with Bradley Wiggins? I don't think you'd ever come uh, home. No. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of the, uh, there was a TV show. This might not be podcast worthy, but Johnny, I don't know if you ever saw the, uh, the where the parents went on the Ibiza holidays yes. with the kids. Yep. Yeah, that it's, makes me think of that. Just fly cool. on the wall with Bradley Wiggins on a, on a drinking holiday. Be amazing. It was, it was called Sun Sex and Suspicious Parents. That's and basically it. it would be yeah, show my true colours here. Um basically it would be like uh, the kids would be it would, they'd be told that it was a documentary about young people going on holiday and then they'd have another set of cameras following the parents around and just sort of capturing their shocked reactions to their kids just getting up to all sorts of things. And it was this is when this is when Telly was yeah, amazing. I, I, basically, I thought Johnny, yeah. Yeah, I thought Johnny might be able to help me with the name for that. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on another podcast about about that show. I've got a record oh, okay. this, so yeah. A rewatch, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we have one more rumor in our rumor section of today's podcast. Uh, <laughs> this one's funny. Uh, Miguel Angel Lopez leaving Astana now? What, what's going on? Well, apparently he's fallen out with them. Um, uh, well, it, it, so it's... Based around the allegations that were that were weighed against him during the summer about the drug trafficking scandal, um, that he was then um, cleared of, I think, um, any suspicion. Uh, but he was suspended for a week, ten days. Um, but so we're told that um, the relationship soured somewhat in that time, and he is apparently looking to break contract for the second time in twelve months. Well. Yeah. <laughs> what is there to say about, about Miguel Angel Lopez moving on potentially once again? It seems to bounce around a fair amount now. Uh, we'll leave that one there and let you know if we hear anything else on that front. I don't feel like there's going to be a ton of suitors given recent events and history. Uh, but, you know, pro cycling has proved me wrong before. So, Let's move on to today's nerd nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. And more rumors. More rumors, more rumors. Uh and, and well, and we're going to we're going to add a little bit of extra in too because uh we got a bit of Wahoo news coming this week as well. We'll we'll touch on that briefly, but first and foremost, the movers and the shakers of the equipment world in the world tour. What what's going on? What are the what are the big sort of what are the big rumors floating around right now? Because nothing generally is fully confirmed until January 1st. Uh, we can often get confirmation well ahead of that, but nothing is formally confirmed until that date because of contracts and things like that. What are we hearing? Uh, well, I think this whole conversation just has arisen from the news that Yombo Visma are moving from Shimano, long-term sponsors uh, and partners, 
to SRAM drivetrains and group sets for the 2023 season onwards, which came as a shock to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, certainly nothing too out of the ordinary about that. Uh, Shimano, Shimano have sponsored the team for a long time. Our base in the Netherlands had, you know, I think Shimano had actually just relocated headquarters or something to be closer to the team and to be better service the squad. So I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate or not, but there, there, there's a lot of sort of speculation that there there must have been some sort of a fallout here. I, I don't really think there was. I think it's just one of these things that happens in pro sport and SRAM came in uh, and will sponsor Yumbo Visma going forward. But one of the stranger rumors to sort of emerge now off the back of that is that Yumbo Visma will also change frame suppliers. Uh, they're currently with Cervelo. And the rumors, and I should say before we even get into this, the reason we haven't written anything about this shit is because we just are struggling to really confirm this either way, which does mean it hasn't been denied either. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the r- rumors certainly suggest that Cannondale are at least interested in partnering with Yomba Visma, uh, which, while may seem surprising, there is, there may actually be a bit of sense in it in that both Cervelo and Cannondale are both under the one umbrella of the pawn, the huge pawn group that uh, owns you know, almost countless cycling brands uh, and across a few different industries. Uh, but basically, Cervelo and Cannondale have the same parent uh, company or, or owners, so to speak. Uh, so it wouldn't be all that much of a, you know, a far-fetched idea to s- sort of think, well, that group may change around who provide which brand name provides which team with frames. That said, it does seem quite, um, it, 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 do, it seems quite unlikely that Yumbo Visma will switch from Cervelo. Um, but what we have heard is that meetings had happened, uh, supposedly during the Tour de France meetings had happened, which gives a little bit of credibility also because we know that's where all these meetings happen. Uh, Katie, you and I were chatting over the weekend sort of saying, I still don't understand why these meetings happened at the Tour de France. There is 49 other weeks of the year <laughs> when the biggest bike race of the year is not happening. So, you know, that Because this does... way execs, execs get to expense a trip to the Tour de France. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why. But that's what why I will say is that at the Tour, I had seen, and specifically in Copenhagen, I had seen uh, quite friendly conversations, let's say, between what appeared to be high-ranking Yumbo Visma uh, employees and what appeared to be high-ranking <laughs> SRAM employees outside of Yumbo Visma bus at one point. And at the time, I thought I sort of, sort of thought to myself, "That's strange," but these people could know each other from any manner of for any reason. You know, the cycling world tends to or people within the cycling world tend to move about a bit. So, you know, they're probably in it for a long time as well. So these people could have known anybody from anywhere. So basically what I'm trying to say is that, you know, meetings may or may not have happened and those meetings may or may not lead to something. (laughs) (laughs) Just locked in reporting is what we've got so far. Uh, (laughs) I'm kind of wondering, you know, why did we decide not to write about this, but yet talk about it on the podcast? (laughs) Oh, you know, we can, we can, we can explain in more detail and yes, context, yes, I think, in the, yes. in the podcast. Um, it's, it's very interesting and I think it's, you know, people would be keen to hear that 
yeah, the, these sorts of conversations may well be happening. And as surprising as it may seem, Jumbo Visma may be about to again change their uh, frame supplier. I mean, the, th- the thing is, like, yeah, okay, they'd be changing frame supplier, but sort of not changing, right? Like, they'd still be dealing it with essentially the same, like, overarching entity. Because Pawn owns Cervelo, Focus, Santa Cruz, Cannondale. They also own things like Schwinn and Gazelle, which makes e-bikes, and Urban Arrow, which makes, like, my big e-bucket bike and things like that. But the the the, the high the high-performance brands are, are the ones I already listed. And so if you, if they switch, it's essentially Pawn making a marketing decision around which which teams they want to associate which brands with, right? Uh, so it, from that perspective, it, it it does make a bit of sense. Like it's it's not quite the same because I think the Pawn brands still operate a little bit more independently than, uh, for example, like Bike Exchange. Uh, most of the most of the sponsors for that team, you know, it changes every year, right? It's just different things owned by Jerry Ryan, for example. Kind of a similar scenario, uh, a little bit different in that that that's basically just Jerry Ryan deciding which which one he wants to stick on the back of the jersey in a given year. Like I said, the pawn each pawn brand does operate relatively independently, but at the at the end of the day, there's there's you know there are some higher ups in the pawn marketing department that can probably help sway that decision and help move things around based off of whatever the marketing goals for each of those brands is. So what we do know is that, well, we think we know <laughs> that ha- the, the, the discussions have happened. Uh, I think the most interesting thing at this point is sort of where exactly Cannondale ends up. Uh, it seems likely that they will stick with EF. Uh, and that makes it in my mind, somewhat less likely that they end up also sponsoring Yumbo Visma. Uh why would Pawn put two of its put two two teams on the same brand when it's got multiple brands? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um so the most likely scenario I think is Yumbo Visma is riding Cervelo next year with SRAM components. EF is riding Cannondale, probably continuing to buy Shimano stuff. Um but we'll keep an eye on it. And again, these these sort of these conversations were definitely happening uh that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything will actually come of them <laughs> that's the important point these people definitely know each other also but that doesn't mean anything will come of that yeah. either <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, the other the other couple of rumors floating about we've already touched on the the B&B and factor bikes one which you know who knows if that even is a rumor or not uh but it's probably as you said earlier Katie, more likely than the Cannondale to Yumbo Visma scenario the the other rumor that uh, we have already reported on uh, is the suggestion that UAE Team Emirates will switch from Camp Agnolo group sets and wheels to Shimano group sets and, and wheels, which, yes, yeah, maybe uh, more of a loss for Camp Agnolo to lose UAE and Pogaccia than Yombo, uh, Shimano losing Yombo Visma, given Shimano's huge presence within the World Tour and Camp Agnolo's sort of slow decline from being the recognized group set of choice for champions and racers, you know, globally to the point where they could find themselves next year and having just two uh, world tour teams and not one of the best world tour teams. We should say that that, that is something that we started hearing about 
at the tour as well. Um, right at the start of the tour. In fact, we heard that there were Colnagos built with Shimano, right? From from what we heard at the time, UAE were considering switching group sets mid-Tour de France, which just seemed absolutely ludicrous, but there was so much sort of weight behind it. I had the draft article ready to go because it seemed almost certain that at some point Pogaccia was going to roll up for a sign-on on a bike with Shimano components instead of Camp Agnolo. I did ask Mauro Gianetti, one of the head honchos at UAE, I'm not sure what his exact position is, but uh, asked him, I think it was after stage two, maybe stage three in, in Denmark, and he flat out denied that, yeah, there was there was any switch going to happen during the tour. But then when I sort of more sort of focusedly asked him, well, what about next year? Uh, despite having just said that, you know, Camp Agnolo fulfills all of their needs and there was no problems and they were quite happy using the group sets, he did say nothing is nothing is ever certain for next year, which I think was more of an indication than, you know, and, and as cycling and, and as a whole, as we mentioned earlier, sponsors are are very seldom are they absolutely set in stone. Uh, so yeah, take from what take what you want from that. At the time, I think it seemed to us like there just wasn't enough sort of evidence to 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 go ahead and actually publish anything on that. It, you know, it, it for, for although we had heard it from I think a couple of sources, uh, there was certainly didn't seem to be much weight behind it. But that weight now does seem to have. Uh, grown quite considerably and the team is even less specific in their responses to questions about it now so i think that looks unfortunately looks like one like maybe happening and yeah kind of watch this space i guess and then our last bit of nerd nugget today leaving the rumors behind uh something that is confirmed ronan it is an interesting program <laughs> from wahoo that will allow you to lease a trainer explain this to me yeah, uh, this is quite interesting, actually. And it, I suppose it comes off the back of the ongoing, let's say, battle for indoor training market share, shall we say? Uh, and specifically off the back of, I think, well, obviously Wahoo won't say this, but specifically, I think, off the back of Zwift's announcement of their sort of, uh, off the back of Zwift's announcement of their new indoor trainer which you know was quite aggressively priced. Well, Wahoo has now gone and will offer its Kicker Snap smart trainer. It's, it's that's a wheel-on trainer, I should say, but still nonetheless a smart trainer that you know interactive and controls resistance and everything else you want for indoor riding nowadays, alongside access to both its RGT virtual world and its system complete training apps for twelve month installments of just twenty nine ninety nine US dollars and. Yeah, that just struck me as <laughs> it was sort of the first thing that Wahoo had done with system that actually really captured my attention. Uh, it looks like a fantastic platform. They've been adding to it for the past year. They've added in a virtual world with RGT, but the option now to have a trainer and a subscription to both apps for a full year for $29.99 a month it uh, does make it remarkably good value when you compare it to what else is available uh, out there at the moment. And yeah, th it's worth worth mentioning this will only be available in the US, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, the Snap is a wheel-on trainer. Most people tend to you know, aspire to direct drive trainers these days. 
but nevertheless, quite a good value proposition there. And one of the interesting things about it is not only does it make it, you know, a, a more affordable option into indoor training, but actually the twenty nine ninety nine for twelve months works out cheaper than just buying the trainer on its own. Uh, even at the greatly reduced sale price that Wahoo is offering right now. Uh, so <laughs> the kind of takeaway for me was, regardless of how you plan to actually train indoors, it's now cheaper to buy the system app and trainer together than just the trainer on its own. Mm. Ah, see, this is, this, is, this is competition doing, it, doing its thing, right? <laughs> it's just getting cheaper. Stuff is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And part of it we should probably add is that, well, part of it is Zwift and, and the 800-pound gorilla um, throwing its weight around with a new trainer and things like that. But part of it is also a lot of these companies trying to figure out what to do in post-pandemic uh, people can ride outside again times. <laughs> And so they're having to be a little bit more aggressive with pricing and options and things like that. And frankly, it's it's just good for consumers. I mean, what you just described is would have been out of this world cheap three, four years ago, right? When when everyone was scrambling to try to find trainers and you had to pay 1500 bucks for one cash at one time and things have changed. One other thing just to make clear, I'm not sure if I've said it already or not, but you actually get to keep the trainer at the end of the 12 months, which is, you know, this isn't at least where you have to give it back or anything, or there's, from what I've asked Wahoo, and they've confirmed there is no like final payment or something that you need to make. This is you pay $29.99 for 12 months, you've got access to the apps, and you've got a trainer at the end of it. Uh, And one thing you mentioned there was just, you know, what are we going to do now post-pandemic when riders can train outdoors? And that's another thing that Wahoo... Well, they announced it a couple of weeks back with the Element Room, but they put it into the press release for this news piece also. is just they have updated the system app now that will actually push the planned workouts in your training plan to your outdoor head unit. And they're really sort of trying to move into the space where, you know, they're not just a indoor training plan. There's actually indoors and outdoors. And you've got your Wahoo trainer indoor and you've got your Wahoo head unit outdoors. And yeah, it's... It's a more complete package. They've also added in voice chat for their RGT world. So you can, without having to go on like Discord or one of these other uh, apps where you can you know talk to other writers that you're writing with, they have now built it into an in, in-game with, with RGT, which seems like another pretty big update. I, for one, am enjoying the great indoor bicycle wars of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they will continue. Uh, Wahoo versus Zwift. Uh, I'm sure that they would tell us that they are partners, but they are absolutely competitors. And you can see them doing a little tit for tat here, um, which is good. It's yeah, like I said, it's good for consumers. It's good for us. It's good for people who who want cheaper, better options with more features and all the rest. So we'll keep you updated on what else is coming down the pike from these two? I mean, we are coming into northern winter here. I know we have a lot of Aussie listeners out there, but the majority of our of our audience is still going into winter right now. So I would imagine that we uh, we talk about a bit more about this in the next couple months. Plus, there's no bike racing to talk about, uh, except for cyclocross, some track. But we don't really know anything about either, so we'll leave that. <laughs> Not nothing. Less. All right. I'm going to cut it off there. Thank you, everybody, 
for listening to this week's Cycling Tips podcast. Make sure you head over to the site. And if you have not already subscribed, go and do so. It's only $9.99 for an entire year. Have we done the math on, was that, we usually do like, you know, coffees per month or whatever. That's just what, two coffees, three coffees for a whole year. Depends where you are. It's like 10 uh, Italian little espressos because they get really angry if it's more than a euro. Uh, it is one coffee in like New York City. Uh, so <laughs> depending on where you live, it is some amount of some small amount of coffees and you can drop the paywall on cycling tips for an entire year. So go do that. Uh, it supports the site. It supports us. It supports this podcast. If you like this podcast, uh, it makes us look good to our owners and that's always a good thing so i'm gonna cut it off there thank you everybody for listening and we will be back next week with another episode of the cycling tips podcast bye everybody bye